So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we have a, quite a few different passages that we are going to be turning to. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we are going to start looking at verses 1 and 2. Looking at verses 1 and 2. While you're uh, turning there, let me ask you this question. What or who, to who, are you faithful towards? To what are you faithful towards or to whom are you faithful towards? Now, how many of the people in here are FSU fans? FSU fans? I see some hands there. Okay, not many, but I see some. Gator fans. All right. Ohio State fans. I see you up there. I see you guys around here. Okay, praise the Lord for that. Um, Whatever team you may be associated with, whatever team you may be a fan of, there are some people that are very faithful to their, te- their team. There was a time back in the day when, when people would get in line for hours, for days, and tents, and chairs, and they would line up in order to just get tickets for their favorite sporting event. These same people would take rooms in their house and dedicate it to their favorite sports team. They would have blankets. Uh, they would have little toys. They would have pictures on the walls. They would have lamps of footballs and other crazy things like that. And these same people would also refuse to even wear the colors of the rivals. Now, why is that? It's because they're faithful fans. We have teachers here at OCA that will spend hours of their time after school is over in their classrooms, preparing lesson plans, looking over tests, taking time, praying for the students. Why? It's because those teachers are faithful. You know, the the marriage uh, picture, marriage itself, was a picture of faithfulness where you would have eyes for only one person that you believe God had for you, and you were dedicated and loyal to that person. And when you cheated on that person, what would we call that? Being unfaithful. Why? It's because you turned away from the person that you were supposed to be faithful towards. I believe tonight, from God's Word, that we are going to see that God wants us, as Christians, to be faithful to Him. Because God has been so faithful towards us. Now, you're probably wondering, what is faithfulness? You've heard that term. What what is faithfulness? Well, faithfulness is this. It's being filled or full of faith. So fans of their sporting team, whatever that may be, they're so full of faith and hope that their team is going to win that they're, they're dedicated. Even if their team loses for years, these are the dedicated fans. These are the people who are dedicated to their spouse because they believe that is who God has for them. Though though they are having sickness and health and, and, and rich or poor, they are still faithful to that person. It's a dedication. It's a loyalty. It's because of the being so filled with faith of what God has done. And we as Christians, if we want to be faithful towards God, we have to be filled with the faith to know that God is in control. God is the reason we do what we do. And tonight, we are going to see several areas in our life that we need to remain faithful to Him. Look with me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 2. It says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, is it required in stewards that a man be found faithful? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we are about to look in your word, that though we may be unfaithful to you, Lord, you are still faithful to us. 
And Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit. Allow those who are listening to consider to themselves, Lord, am I being faithful to you? And Lord, I pray that you will just, uh, just fill this room. Help us to make decisions for you tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the Bible says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, specifically, God's word is referring to service towards God. That a steward, a minister of God, remain faithful in their service. This is Paul talking about this. Now, Jesus actually taught about this in one of his parables in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. He says this. Now, I, I, to help the picture, I think it would be good to give these servants some names. So there was a Lord. Was a master, and he had three servants. Is what the parable tells us. Now, let's say the first servant was named Tim. Okay, so Tim gets five talents. To the second servant was Reuben, and he got two talents. And to the the last servant, the last one, he received one talent. And that was Jared. So Jared gets one talent. So the 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 master leaves town. He goes on a trip, and the the servant that had five, Tim, he goes out. He's good with money. All right, he goes out and he invests these talents, and he actually makes five more. And now he has ten talents, or we count, we got ten talents. Reuben still has two, but he goes out and he's like, you know what, Tim has a pretty good idea out there. I'm going to go to town, I'm going to see if I can get myself. And he got four, four talents. Then there was Jared. <sighs> Jared. Jared went to his house, went in his backyard, he got a shovel. And he took that shovel, began to dig a hole, and he placed that talent in the hole. Now the servant... Uh, the master of the servants come back, and he sees his servants to the two, the Tim and Reuben. He sees what they have done with their talents, and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servants. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine the feeling to hear that from your master, your employer, or really anybody, that you did a good job, what you were expected to do, that you did something with what you were given? What a great feeling. But unto Jared, the servant that did nothing and buried his talents, he said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Could you imagine with me how it would feel to hear that from your master that they consider you lazy, maybe a bad worker? But yet that's exactly what the servant didn't do. He didn't do what was expected, what he was entrusted and Jesus warns of this trap. The, the cry of Scripture says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. They will justify. They will give, give reason why they are good. But a faithful man, who can find? We are going to look in areas where we need, as Christians, and I believe we as Americans have failed in this part, we have been unfaithful to God. Churches across America have been unfaithful to God. But we will look where we need to be faithful as Christians, and this is going to be done by looking at the life of Moses, because honestly, I think Moses is a very good picture of a man who went through a lot, for Christ's sake. So, if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And the first area that we are going to look at is our faithfulness and our response to our provision. Our faithfulness and our response to our provision. Look with me now in verse 22, Matthew, I mean, Exodus chapter 15. The Bible says, And so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters 
of Mara, for they were bitter, therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cut, cast it into the water, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought the Egyptians, for I am the Lord the heal that healeth thee. So to start us off, you've got to know the context of what's going on here. The, the children of Israel have just seen the mighty hand of God in their departure of slavery from Egypt. The Pharaoh had refused to listen to God. He says, I want you to let my people go, and uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so God sent plagues to show his might and his power, and, and he delivered his people, and he did exactly that. The children of Israel are then released, and they now make their way to the Red Sea. Well, Pharaoh decides he's going to change his mind, and he wants those people back. It, it wasn't fair what happened with those plagues. And so now Israel is against the Red Sea, but yet God and his provision and his protection opens the Red Sea. He parts it, and they walk through on dry ground. Now, as Pharaoh tries to chase them behind them, God then swallows them up and destroys Pharaoh's army. So you would think that these people would stand in awe of the splendor of God. Wouldn't you think that? They just saw the plagues in Egypt. They just saw that they walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. But honestly, you'd be wrong. They, after walking from the Red Sea, they're wandering in the wilderness for three days, and they come to a place, and they haven't found any water source. So they finally come to something, and they see a water in the distance. I can imagine somebody's running up. They're really excited. They jump into the water. They get to drink some of it, and they find out that this water that they were looking forward to is actually bitter, and that's why they call it Mara. But what they do next completely blows my mind because they begin to murmur and complain against Moses. But Moses, he doesn't gripe. He doesn't complain. He turns to God, and he asks for God's provision. And God provided him a tree that once he, he placed in the water, once it touched the water, it was made, made sweet. Now step back with me for a moment and consider this. Was God faithful to his people? Yes. Was he faithful through the plagues in Egypt? Was he faithful in his protection at the Red Sea? So why wouldn't he be faithful in his provision to his people? The answer is that he would be. And because God is faithful, and so many times he has been faithful, we too should be faithful towards him. But so many times we are just like the children of Israel. God has provided us with so much. We live in the greatest nation in this world, a nation of prosperity, but yet, we have a few rough months, we have a few rough days, and maybe we can't find that water source. And instead of trusting God and turning to Him and remaining faithful to Him, we begin to murmur. We get, begin to complain. We begin to question Him. We begin to doubt Him. But He has always been faithful. Think back to what He's done for you. Think back to the years of this nation being formed and what He has done, what He's even done here in this church. I think back to what God has done for me in just a few years that, that uh, I, I've even been here. When I was in college, I come from a single-parent home. I had no money, and I went to college anyways. And it was about $10,000, $11,000 a year, and I didn't have it. 
And so what I did is I simply followed what God wanted me to do, and I just prayed. And there were times I was nervous. There were times I was scared that I wasn't going to have the money. But you know what happened? God provided. God was faithful, and He's done that for you. And you can think back to the times He's done that, where you may not have had the money in your account. Maybe there was some sickness going on in your family, but God still remained faithful. Think about what He's led you through, because no matter what is going on, God is faithful in our provisions. What is so great about our God is that even though we may gripe, we may complain, we may forget about Him, He's still faithful, and it's exactly what He does with Israel. They complained about the water, but because of the prayer of a man, a man of God, He still made the water sweet. Despite God's graciousness to them, though, and we are going to see this throughout the entire book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the unfaithfulness did not stop. A few days later, just a few days, really, they start traveling now to uh, close to Sinai, and they begin to murmur and complain again about their provision. And now they're complaining about Moses and Aaron. They said in Exodus 16.3, and said, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when he sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For we have brought us, he, ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. But even though they were upset again, even though they were gospeling and complaining about Moses and Aaron, verse 8 says this, And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat. He's still going to provide for you. And in the morning, bread to the full. He's still going to provide for you. For that which the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. You see, that's exactly what is going on. They're not murmuring against Moses and Aaron. They're actually murmuring against God. And they continue to complain despite the provision they receive. But God, despite the, the complaining and murmuring, He was still faithful to them because God keeps His promises. Amen. So the first area that we saw is that we need to be faithful in, his, our, in our provisions. But the second area is we need to have faithfulness in our labor. Faithfulness in our labor. Look with me now in 16, verse 19. Moses said, Let no man leave of till the morning. Now, what we just learned is God's providing for them. He's providing for them manna. So don't leave until morning. Notwithstanding, you hearken unto the Moses, for some of it left it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which he will bake today, and see that the which thou seest, and that which remaineth overlay for you to be kept until the morning. So God provides them manna, bread from heaven, and he gave them certain requirements for gathering of their food. They needed to work. They needed to labor. They needed to do some type of action because, honestly, it's good for man to work. So they were told that they needed to gather the manna enough for them and for their family according to what they needed. This was a daily provision. 
for them. So daily, they were to go out, gather this, and then they would, they would uh, bake their food. They were told also that they can't keep it overnight. You can't just go out there, get double, and then keep it overnight, and then bake it the next day. It's not going to work. However, they were told on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, that they would get double the amount in order for them to observe a day that was set aside for God. God had specific requirements for his specific blessings. All it required was for his people to do what he told them to do. However, the Bible says they didn't listen. Some gathered more in abundance and tried to keep it overnight. And so the next morning they woke up and there were worms. Worms in there. Have you ever seen worms in old fit? It's not pretty. It's nasty. It stinks. It surely does. I've seen that. Don't do that. But that's what they did. And then some of them didn't believe God when he said, hey, there's not going to be any food on the Sabbath. And so they woke up on the Sabbath and they didn't gather on the, on the sixth day and they walk out there and they're like, hey, where's my food? Where, where, where's my food at? You see my food out there? And there was no food for them. See, they didn't believe what God what said for them. Some of them were lazy and some wanted to do it their own way. And sometimes we can fall for the same traps. God tells us that we need to work hard. He tells us that we need to give of ourselves and of our money. He tells us that whatsoever ye do, do hardly as unto the Lord. But sometimes God in our labor is not our focus. Sometimes we only do what is hardly as unto us. Sometimes we don't give. Sometimes we're lazy. And many times we have heard that what we are supposed to do as Christians, that we are supposed to be laborers in His harvest, that we are supposed to be fellow laborers in the work of the ministry, that we are supposed to go out and we are the body of God working together for a common cause. But yet, how many times do churches around this country hear the call of service to just work in their own church and it goes in one ear and out with the other? How many times do we hear from this pulpit about prayer time where we need to be praying for revival, about needs in the children's ministry, about needs for Sunday school, about the ballast route, and yet something comes up, we have justification for it because we're no longer focused on the work that needs to be done for the Lord, but we're focused on ourselves. But yet, God still remains faithful. God's work will still get done, but hopefully we are not hindrances of his work. Hopefully it won't be said of us, hey, I had this desire for you. I had this work for you. I gave you these talents to do this work, but yet you just buried those talents. Would it be that we would not hear that from our Lord? See, we need to examine the faithfulness of our provision. We need to examine our faithfulness in our labor. But thirdly, we need to examine our faithfulness in our worship. Go with me now in Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. our faithfulness, and our worship. Now, this is actually Moses is at Sinai. He's going up into the mountain, so you kind of understand the context before we read it. Verse 32, verse 1 says this, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Make up, make us gods which shall go before us, for of this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not, what has become of him? And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings 
which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned them with a graving tool, and he made it for a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So God calls Moses to meet him up on Mount Sinai. There Moses is receiving the law, the law that was meant to lead this people, the people that have been complaining. But however, Moses has been there quite a bit of time. Now they see smoke and they see lightning and they hear these loud noises and they have been fearful. And in their minds they think, oh man, maybe Moses is dead. I don't know what's going on. And began to worry. But instead of turning to God, and remaining faithful to him, they began to turn to their old ways, to the ways that they were just brought from. They gathered golden earrings and jewelry and melted it down and fashioned them into a golden calf. Then the next morning, they rose up early to burn sacrifices to this false god. And then they had the audacity to say this, we're going to have a feast to the Lord. Now, where do you think they learned to worship a calf? Do you think that was from the Lord or do you think that was from Egypt? The place, see, it was from Egypt, the place where God delivered them out from slavery. The place where God showed His awesome might through the ten plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea. But yet, they chose to go to the old ways. The ways they were delivered from. The ways of this world. And they began to worship something they made for themselves. They weren't faithful in their worship. They, they wanted to worship God on their own terms. And faithfulness in worship requires that we worship God in His terms. See, many Christians have fallen into this trap of unfaithfulness. They turn to the ways of the world, the ways that they were saved from. And they try to incorporate those practices into the worship. They bring smoke machines, light shows, drumbeat-driven music, and then they compromise their standards in order to reach this world. But when the world becomes the church... Where is the worship of God? Now, I'm not saying that these people may not have been sincere. I think that it, the Israelites were sincere. Why? Because they literally took of their own gold and their earrings, and they were sincere, and they melted it down in order to worship. But just because you're sincere doesn't make it right. Because God says, you come to me this way. God says, you, you need to come, and you need to practice this way. I'm not going to be accepting the ways of this world, just like when God refused to accept Cain's offering. That was not acceptable to him. And yet we have Christians across this world who are trying to worship God on their own terms. God says, come, hey, listen, if you want to come to me, you have to come to me the way I've said you need to come to me. Verse 9 and 10 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. God, rightfully so, was not displeased, was, was dis displeased in their unfaithfulness because God want, is a jealous God. He expects to be worshipped the way he says 
He wants to be worshipped. And he was ready to destroy these people. But Moses cries out to God and on their behalf, and he begs them to let them live. And Moses talked to God based on who God is. He asked God to remember his faithfulness. That though these people may have sinned and murmured, and though they have turned away from you, God, this is why you brought them out of Egypt. And though we may not be faithful, God is still faithful. And lastly, our fourth area that we're going to look in is our faithfulness and our support of the man of God. Faithfulness and our support of the man of God. Look with me now into Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Again, that's faithfulness and our support of the man of God. Number 16, and we're going to be again in verse number 2. To give you some context, when they say they, they're talking about Kor. Now, Kor was a man of God, not a man of God, but one of Moses' men. And he actually began to rise up against Moses. Verse 2 says this, And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. One of the children of Israel, a man named Kor, decides he's going to rise up against Moses. He begins to sow discord in the congregation. He makes the people question the intentions and motives and the leadership of Moses. He says, well, aren't we all holy? Are we all supposed to be of God? So why does Moses get to be better than us? Why does he get to be above us? Who, who has placed him uh, in, in this leadership? And he tries to undermine him by creating a following. And apparently, it worked because there was quite a following. 250 men began to follow him. And the Bible says these are men of, of famous men in the congregation and men of renown. These are people that led. These are people that serve, people that people knew. But what Moses does is that he does not gripe or complain. He, he doesn't get down on himself. He doesn't exile this man. He doesn't kill him. He leaves it in God's hands. And instead, he speaks to him and he says, let God be the judge of who will lead this people. And Moses speaks to the, this, this man, and he speaks to the people, and he said, if God chooses me, he'll make it clear. And if he's going to choose him, he'll make it clear. And so as Moses is done speaking, the earth opens up, and it swallows Korah, his, all of his earthly possessions, and the 250 men. And it made clear to the congregation who the man of God was. Now, I, I don't want you to think that 250 men were the majority of the children of Israel because that, that wasn't true. They were several million people in the tribe of Israel. This was a small percentage. However, these were men that were famous, men of renown. These were people who served. They were judges. They were people that people looked up to. And so they were experienced the poison of Korah. And so now this poison was seeping in the camp and it needed to be removed. It was because of their unfaithfulness to who God has placed over him, that they now had to be removed from the camp. See, we know from Scripture that God has, is the one who puts ministers over us. He's the one who puts people in authority over us. He's the one who calls people to serve him. So why do we think that we have the right to question or challenge what God has done? 
Because ultimately, when we challenge the people that God places over us, our employers, our parents, our rulers, our pastor, we are actually challenging God. And you know what happens when we challenge God? It doesn't end well for us. Because we need to follow and be faithful to what God has done. And listen, if there are bad people that are over us, God will deal with it because God is the judge. It is not our place. Well, I think I could do it better than that. I think he, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know what? There was a person in the Bible called Saul who did some things wrong. And you know what? David had the chance a few times to take this man out. But you know who ultimately had the authority and the right to, to heal those things? It was God. He brought the justification and the satisfaction. It wasn't David's. And how do we, as a congregation or as Americans, think that we have the right to challenge what God has placed in authority over us? So we've seen many bad examples of people being unfaithful, but I want to end on this one good example. Look with me now in Exodus chapter 17 one more time. Exodus chapter 17 being faithful to the man of God. Exodus 17 and verse 9 says this, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there on it. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side, on the one side, and the one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So the children of Israel are going to fight the Amalekites. Now these are people that have been harassing them since they left Egypt. They have not left them alone. They are taking their people. And so God says, enough is enough. And Moses tells Joshua, you need to bring yourself some men, capable men, to go and fight for Israel. And so the next day the battle begins. Moses goes to the top of the hill, and he has the rod of God in his hands. And as he holds the rod of God over the people, the people begin to win the battle. Israel wins and prevails in the battle. But as Moses is now 80-some years old, his arms are rightfully tired, I would say. I don't like holding an arm straight up like this for hours at a time, but yet he's getting tired. And so when his arms begin to fall down, the enemy begins to prevail. So Aaron and her notice what is going on here. And so they roll up a stone right behind this man of God, and they sit him down, and they brace up one arm on one side, and they brace up another on the other side. And because of this, the children of Israel won that battle. It was because of the faithfulness of two men towards the man of God. These men stood with God's men, supported him through the heat of battle. And how many men tonight would would say, I want to be like Aaron and her. I want to stand and support God's man because honestly, pastor has such a heavy responsibility. Being a man of God comes with a lot of weight. Being a man of God means that he is responsible for his actions to God. And sometimes when he's going through the heat of battle, he's going to need men who stand beside him and that will hold up his arms with him and say, I'm going to support and come alongside of him. So where are you tonight? God wants us to remain faithful to him. 
He wants us to remain faithful in our provision, in our labor, in our worship, in the support of his man. But are we? See, it's easy to become like Israel and become so self-focused that we make everything about us and not about God. Isn't that what the problem was? They were so consumed with their daily needs that they forgot their past provisions. They were so consumed with how they wanted the work to be done that they neglected what, they were, that, what was expected. They were so consumed on how they wanted to worship that they left God out. And they were so consumed on how they thought things should be done that they challenged who God had ordained. See, what God desires is a people, His people, to be so consumed, not with themselves, but with Him. And in every action, in their day-to-day life, they will remain faithful to what God has taught them and what God has for them. Isn't that what Moses did? Moses stood before Pharaoh. He dealt with the complaining sheep. He taught the lazy. He was challenged and he was despised. But despite of all the things that came his way, he still turned to God and sought God for strength. And that is what we need to do as Christians. And that is what we need to do in America and as churches. We need to stand up and say, I'm going to remain faithful to God's word. I'm going to remain faithful in what he has told me to do. And I'm going to remain faithful even in my voting practices. Because that is what God requires of us, that a man should be found faithful. So let me ask you one more time. Are you faithful in your provision? Are you faithful in your labor? Are you faithful in your worship to God? Are you faithful to the man of God? Because a faithful man, who can find? God wants you to be faithful. Will you be faithful to him today? Wouldn't it be a wondrous thing that the, at the end of our lives, that we stand before God, and he would look to us and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter now, thou, into the joy of the Lord.